The Greek physician Hippocrates, who all doctors swear by apparently, is supposed to have once proclaimed, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Julia Child, world famous author of the book, The Joy of Cooking, once said, people who love to eat are always the best people. The famous glutton from Calcutta, Joy Bhattacharya, has apparently said, if there is no potato in your biryani, your eggs shall forever be running. Well, the first quote is probably true, the second is definitely true, and the last may be a tad untrue. But what's not is our focus on all things gastronomic this week. Yes, we scour the annals of food history to unearth fun stories, weird news, word origins and quizzes. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Get that ill-timed burp out of the way. I'm Ratan Basu and with me is the ever-smiling but always hungry Joy Bhattacharya. And this is Fact of the Matter. Joy, how are you doing? And how do you like the lovely quote I attributed to you? I think you've been doing this for a very long time. I've been misquoted for a very, very long time. And if the secret police <laughs> come knocking at three o'clock in my door, it will be your fault, Ratan. It will be completely your fault. But wonderful <laughs> to be back. And this is a topic, dude, you need to tell people that this is a topic you could have talked about much more about one yeah. and a half years back. But you've lost some 14 kgs in the last year and a half, have you? Ah. It can't be by increasing your food intake oh you know you know the the perils of a lockdown and the perils of the last one and a half year what can one say but um let's not talk about those horrible things about weight loss and stuff let's move straight into our main section and today when we talk main course we are literally talking main course for a change and what better way than to serve up some very interesting delicacies coming up my first story is something quite daring joy Today, I'm going to talk about what a restaurant critic once called the barbaric pinnacle of gastronomic pleasure. I'm going to talk of feasting on tiny finch-like songbirds called ortolans. And this is a French illegal delicacy. How do you do this? You first save up for a trip to France. You find a poacher. You negotiate a price for the ortolans. A single ortolan can cost up to 150 euros on the black market, by the way. So it's not cheap. And it might be a good idea to have around 6,000 euros ready because uh, you might have to pay a fine if you're caught eating this infamous dish in a restaurant. Anyway, you buy your Autoland or Autofans, you fatten the birds on a little bit of millet. Then in preparation, you drown them in proper French Armagnac, remove feet and feathers, roast them in a ramekin for about eight minutes, bring the food to the table, the full bird, and with the body fat still sizzling. And then there is a very, very interesting ritual. You're supposed, supposed to cover your head with your serviette or a shroud or a piece of cloth. And this ritual is part of the experience. Aficionados claim that it helps to concentrate the flavors and aromas. But some people say it's merely a means to protect fellow diners from a disgusting and uncivilized ritual, or even to conceal the diner's gluttony from God. By the way, there's a very famous picture, Joy, of uh, the French president, the ex-French president, Francois Mitterrand, who had he, or chose for his last supper before he died of cancer, an autolan. And there is a very, very famous picture of that. However, let's move on. How do you consume it? You have to decide which end to begin with, either the rear or the head, but place the entire bird into your mouth, let it rest on your tongue, inhale rapidly. Apparently, this cools down. The bird also sort of releases the ambrosial taste, you know, to flow down your gullet. You chew 
According to Canossias, the first taste is delicious, both salty and savory, and then you crunch the fine bones, and you know, it goes on and on. You chew diligently, crack the bones, masticate the liver, heart, and other organs. The tiny lungs apparently are saturated with armaniac, and they burst onto your tongue in a heady, liquor-charged climax that some say is very, very orgasmic. Um, and you keep doing this on and on. Now, this is this eating of the ortolan has also been immortalized uh, in um, a very famous, uh, uh, you know, OTT soap called Succession, which is, I think, an HBO uh, uh, property. And you can catch uh, in one of the episodes uh, two of the, you know, uh, actors participating in eating an ortolan. But I thought this was a bizarre. And uh, you, some might call it gastronomic. I would say it's quite grotesque as well. But something really uh, interesting to kickstart our food journey today. Yeah, I mean, food is fascinating. Of course, that's the one thing that has fascinated us over centuries, much before films or music or anything. And, you know, you think of the various kinds of food. So one of the things that immediately struck me when you were talking about, you know, French cuisine is Truffles, you know, truffles are such an important part of French cuisine. Right. So I was absolutely gobsmacked when I found that that originally the only way to find truffles was with pigs. So they'd have very, very, you know, specially bred pigs with very high nose sensitivities who right. go out and they would take their pig out and those pigs were worth a lot of money. And they would go out and search for truffles. And, you know, now I think a lot of the pigs are being replaced by dogs because they figured out a better way of doing it. Okay. But original truffles were always searched for by pigs. Are truffles, so, you know, I wanted, are truffles joy yeah, a, a, a sort of mushroom type of vegetable? Yeah. What exactly is it? I mean, just, just for clarity. A truffle is, I mean, really it's a fungus of, you know, it's, it's also a fungus. It is a mushroom okay. of some variety. Right. So, you know, it is basically one of those things which you can find only. It's a fungus that you find mostly underground or just underground. So it's not, it's not easy to find, but you need to have somebody or some creature with a nose for it. But uh, the people who you don't need a nose for are, are of course, you know, the South Asian cave swiftlet. And uh, this is a particular bird. And, you know, you've been talking about birds. Most people like to eat birds. But in this case, what is really, really a huge delicacy for the South Asian cave swiftlet is their nest. Okay. Their nest is normally cooked with slight bit of warm milk, never microwaved, and it's a huge delicacy. Bird's nest soup is a ah, very expensive delicacy. Right. And it's not just among, it's among the Chinese, it's among the Thais, it's among the Malaysians. It's a fantastic delicacy. And I've, uh, I've tasted a little bit, somebody with me once ordered it, but... Uh, I, I didn't know what the fuss was about, but of course, my palate is not good enough to make out the difference. But I was also thinking about one thing, and which is what I want to ask you. You know, they have chicks in the nest. Yeah. The birds must be pooing. I mean, this can't be... Big you know, question. Anyway, I, I don't, big, I don't want big, to ask any. I don't want to talk about it. Big, big question. I actually exactly came up, came to that point in my mind that, you know, what, what is it cleaned? Is somebody looking at, you know, or does it add to the taste? Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's brilliant. Bird's nest soup. Of course, that's oh, wait, wait, wait. I have from. one more. I have, yeah, uh, yeah yes. I have one more thing to say because I, I, you know, Ratin, that I have, I'm paranoid about examinations. All so right. when I heard that in Japan, they actually have an examination to do something uh, for cooking. I was just gobsmacked. So this basically started off because uh, there's a particular fish called the fugu fish or the puffer fish. Yeah. And this is really poisonous. The liver is really poisonous, but it's also supposed to be delicious. 
Okay, right. so you're supposed to cut it right, and if you cut it right, it's supposed to be a fantastic tasting dish. But if you get it wrong, you could get yourself poisoned. You could get yourself very easily poisoned. So now, originally, each Japanese prefecture used to have a separate standard saying that you know this is what you need to pass to uh, cook uh, the fugu fish. But what's now happened is they are trying to centralize the examination like a board examination. So everyone has to give the same examination to cook right. this fish. So this fugu fish is just an amazing story, and uh, well, people still go and have it. Apparently, also what happens is the fugu restaurants are always close together because only a few places will get really fresh fish, and that's where the fugu is really good. So well, um, if you get it wrong, it could well be your last supper. I mean, literally. It's literally your last supper. In fact, a very famous uh, Japanese uh, kabuki artist called Bando okay. in 1975, when he was 75 years old, walked into the restaurant and says, "You know what? I can eat fugu fish. I'm okay with it, and I can take the liver as well." He ate it, died within 19 hours, and that's when all hell broke loose. Wow, that's that's something maybe I will draw a line at. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there are uh, many adventurous uh, food enthusiasts who would go for it. Something like that. Okay, so we've talked about the fugu, about poo-filled bird nests, about you know strangely eating exotic songbirds like the ortolan. Let's um, talk about something a little bit more mundane yet strangely quite exotic. But before we talk about the dish, which is very humble, I want to talk about a place which lends its name to the dish in a way. So I'm talking about this uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site called Mont Saint-Michel. Uh, it's called the Wonder of the West. It's basically uh, where it's in an island in the middle of a bay off the coast of France, which sees some of the highest tides. And the island is famous for its abbey, of the abbey of Mont Saint-Michel, which was built over there. And then there was a surrounding village. You have often seen this island in many, many, uh, television, TV serials across the world. But um, it's, a, it's a massive place for spiritual and cultural pilgrimage for both Christians as well as uh, other tourists. Now, this village or this island village of Mont Saint-Michel with the Abbey has a very famous restaurant called La Mer Poulard. This is named after a local lass, Annette Poulard, who initially was a chambermaid at the Abbey, but then married the local baker and opened an inn in the medieval village. And she became very famous for her culinary talents and rustled up some 700 different dishes, etc., for which she earned the title of mayor, which is reserved for exceptional cooks. So La Mer Poulard was formed. Now, La Mer Poulard till today is renowned for Annette Poulard's famous omelette, the humble omelette. And why was this famous? You know, in the 19th century, what happened was guests at the inn and these were mostly pilgrims who were coming to the abbey, they could only reach this island at low tide. And therefore, they would keep arriving at the inn at all hours of the night, so all odd hours. But when they arrived, Annette would quickly prepare her special omelette purely as an appetizer, just to take the edge of their hunger before going on to cook a more substantial or elaborate meal later. But this same fluffy souffle omelette which was served at the restaurant then, and it's served today, apparently became very, very popular. And these, these omelette is made 
by eggs which are beaten for at least five minutes. Then it's poured into a copper skillet, cooked over an open fire with the bottom is slightly brown, but the inside is still frothy. And they are served either plain or with a choice of bacon, potatoes, camembert cheese, naturally, ratatouille, foie gras, shrimps, or even lobster. And this omelette is so contemporary, it is still seen as one of the most original French dishes. So if you ever go to Mont-Saint-Michel, remember La Mer Poulard and try out this delicious omelette. Now, all this talk, yeah. Joy. Yes, carry on. No, I'm just saying that I find it very interesting that, you know, this was supposed to be the starting course to take the edge of the hunger. Yeah. And then the more elaborate food would follow. And yet this becomes the most famous food. This omelette becomes a signature dish. And that's so common in anything in the world that you say, okay, this is my sort of side character. Right. So, for example, in Charlie Brown, uh, Snoopy was a side character in Charlie Brown. You know, they didn't right. know who's Snoopy, one dog roaming around. Suddenly Snoopy becomes important because people start liking it. And that's how I love it. You know, history has a strange way. Suddenly the omelette becomes more famous than the main dish they might have cooked over two hours. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, by the way, talking of Charlie Brown, my favorite character is neither Charlie Brown nor Snoopy. It is Linus. And his blanket, which led to the term security blanket, is, um, is, is something I keep missing all the time. I do need a security blanket, especially after I've had a very heavy meal, which is what we are talking about. But from the humble omelette, I wanted to quickly talk about some Indian Anything food. Indian? Yes, okay, yes, excellent. something. Excellent. And I shall talk about a specialty from Rajasthan. No, non-veg enthusiasts. I'm not going to talk of lal mas or safed mas or jungli mas or any other mas for that matter. I'm going to talk of a vegetarian delicacy called dal bati churma. Three ingredients, dal, which is a lentil, bati, which is a, a dough of wheat, which is dipped in ghee and then deep fried, and churma, which is basically um, sort of molasses, which are turned into a very dry, powdery uh, texture, and then served along with the lentil and the deep fried dough. But the interesting bit is the bati came first. And where did it come? It came from the, the province of Mewar and from the famous Chittorgarh Fort. Chittor Fort is where Rana Pratap, uh, the legendary Rajput chieftain came from. And, uh, you know, his, his battles with Emperor Akbar, the Mughal emperor, emperor, is very well known. But Chittorgarh Fort led to the rise of this Bati. And why? The Rajput kings of Mewar found out that to survive in adverse conditions of war in a, a very inhospitable terrain, the Bati, which could be made with very few ingredients and very little water, you know, in the barren lands, was something which worked brilliantly. The dal and the churma came later. The, the sort of the invention evolved uh, into this. But that's where dal bati churma came from. And today, when you go to your heritage hotel and you eat about all this, you know, Rajasthan, as you know, is the land of kings, forts, palaces, battles, royal intrigues, heritage hotels, getting conned into buying uh, fake artifacts, etc., etc. But when you go into heritage hotels and try out dal bati churma, remember, a few hundred years back, warriors in the middle of battle would be um, doing this. Interestingly, Joy, have you ever thought that uh, if you had a time machine and if you could actually go back to some of these medieval wars, how would you respond if I took um, some Swiggy and Zomato guys along with us and start online food delivery in the middle of battle? 
How do you think that would work? That's all you. Uh, well, well, actually, uh, there is a logic to that, and there's a logic to how people went into the battle. If you remember medieval uh, India, yeah, a lot of people who went into battle, especially the sort of uh, the aristocracy, yeah, and even the soldiers, they would use opium. Okay, right. and you would wonder why do you want to use opium before a battle? You know, it sounds all wrong because you know opium is it should dull your senses and all. There are two very interesting logics to it. One is opium. is a butt plug basically your stomach gets jammed because the one right. thing that happens in the war and that's the truth it's scary you're going to go for war you know you have loose bowels so opium absolutely immediately settles your stomach you know okay. it's just make sure that your stomach is settled secondly if you get minor wounds right. with opium you will not notice them which is why that you know you could overuse it but a lot of rulers even knowingly when they went into battle would have a little bit of opium just to take the edge off small minor injuries and to sort of settle their stomachs but i'm i'm thinking of a situation where there's a full battle going on let's say in a haldi ghati and suddenly um, you know there are two um, opium you know uh, opium loving warriors in the thick of it going at it and suddenly there is a beautiful person standing on the side and excuse me sir um, could you tell me where i can find uh, you know so and so person i have a pizza delivery to be made i think that would be Yeah, I mean, incredible, right? Joy, think about it. There's a web series somewhere there. I feel. Well, I just want to say you've got a terrific imagination, and I'm not sure what stuff you've been inhaling because you know the thought of a <laughs> swiggy boy in the middle of haldi ghati. I think, I think you've partaken a few of those uh, dry substances which are very useful in these circumstances. So I'll leave it at that. Fantastic. So. um that brings us to the end of main course but we'll quickly move into um, our next section which is believe it or not where we talk of some really insane or bizarre uh, news items and today my story and this is this is something which i will start with joy and let me know how you feel about it is something which came from pakistan now there are two ways to experiment with food one way is let's say use ingredients that are entirely different but it ends up making the dish more delicious the other is using an ingredient that's so weird that it destroys the sanctity of the dish and its relationship with our palate now there are some combinations which sound wrong some taste wrong but this story is bizarre fhm pakistan a youtube channel recently uploaded a video that has startled people beyond limitations shot in karachi the host introduces his agenda and then the camera pans to a beautifully served and plated biryani impeccably textured the, the every grain of the rice is visible the colors brilliant all's going well till the biryani seller comes and pours a cup full of thick chocolate over the plate of biryani absolutely the video goes on and the host starts eating this biryani and actually enjoys it apparently and says things like if you haven't eaten this you've eaten nothing and then compliments the chef for the chocolate biryani but what's uh, interesting is i mean the biryani alone with chocolate is bizarre but the comment box if one goes and sees it's filled with hilarious remarks people have said the host has did a oscar worthy performance one of the users says the fact that he did not puke should give him a medal straight away etc now remember 
there are weird food combinations which have come out because of social media. Like, I don't know whether you've heard of gulab jamun pizza, whether you've heard of watermelon with mustard or apple fritters or ice cream dosa. There are many such, but Joy, and I think you'll agree with me, I draw the line at biryani. Chocolate biryani, bizarre. Chocolate biryani, chocolate momos, I draw the line. And here's my statement. I believe there's too much religious fundamentalism and not enough food fundamentalism. You know, there are some combinations that you said, these are, you're not allowed to do it. Like in Bengal, you know, you sing Ravindu Shongit badly, you're put into jail. Yeah. You need to do have rules like that. You cook chocolate and biryani, you should be in jail for 30 days. I have no problems. I will personally lock them in and throw away the key. And you know what? I want to talk about something again on the same likes. Uh, you know, we all know about the croissant. Everyone's tasted the croissant. So why does it have the shape? Basically, the croissant means crescent in French. Yeah. And it, there are many legends about it. It says that it was invented in Europe. I did to celebrate the defeat of the Umayyad forces over the Franks at the Battle of Tours, which is 17, uh, 732. Yeah. Or in Vienna in 1683, when the Ottoman Turks were defeated by the Christian forces. And right. that's why they basically have the shape of a croissant. So everyone said that, you know, Nobody knows whether these, you know, these theories keep flowing, floating around all the time. But the interesting part about it is not that those are theories. In 2019, okay, yeah, yeah. the Hava El Sharia banned Syrians from consuming the Kroisau because they said that the Kroisau is anti-Muslim. And that I found was absolutely hilarious. I mean, nobody else knows what it is, but that a food is anti-Muslim because it's a particular shape or anti-Hindu because it's a particular shape or anti-Christian because it's a particular shape just absolutely broke me up. And apparently the bakers in the city, all they did was they turned around and they started baking it straight and it didn't make any difference to them. So they just kept consuming it. So, well, I think, yeah. I think well done. I mean, I, I, that, that's a hats off to all the bakers. For doing that because you know you can't you shouldn't mix religion and food like this I and mean, that's my personal feeling um but what a lovely lovely story about croissants and and an attempt to turn the croissant into a banned food object which in my mind the autoland bird should be i mean yeah it's it's so weird how things turn but that's that's weird news for us and that's believe it or not hope you enjoyed it we'll get into a small break but before we take a small break we would like to remind our listeners that you can send us your feedback, suggestions, answer our quiz questions. This email address, factofthematterindia at gmail.com. You can catch all our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Report, and Stitcher, basically on whichever platform you prefer. Do click on the follow button, which will ensure that you automatically get informed whenever a new episode drops. You can also check our website, anchor.fm backslash fact hyphen off, hyphen the, hyphen matter, in case you want to see Joy's delightful visage, hungry or otherwise. Welcome back to our next section. We will talk about cute words and phrases, but with the difference in this episode, we will focus on food and, you know, word origins all related to food. And I will kickstart Joy by talking about one of my favorite, favorite Mexican food items called nachos. So where do nachos come from? Now, nachos originated in the city of Piedras Negras, 
just over the border, and this is in Mexico, just over the border from a Texan town called Eagle Pass. Um, and it's a very interesting story. There was a military um, establishment in Eagle Pass, Texas, and in 1943, during the middle of the Second World War, some really bored military wives would often go to the city of Piedras Negras, just across the border, and visit an mm. establishment called the Victory Club. Okay. Um, and at the Victory Club, one day, a regular customer, Mamie Finnan, a military wife, uh, came in. The chef was missing. And, uh, you know, the, the maitre d' Ignacio Nacho Anaya was present. And she said, Could you give us some food or should we go away? Now, Anaya um, thought, Why lose customers? And went to the kitchen and using some freshly fried pieces of corn tortillas, added melted cheese and pickled jalapeno strips, cut the tortillas into triangles, fried them, and served them. After tasting the snack, Mamie Finnan asked what it's called. She thought this was a regular item, and Anaya responded, well, I guess you can just call them nacho special. And that became so popular, and this lady obviously went back and you know told other friends and, and family, etc. And they came back and they became regular customers. Very soon, Anaya opened his own restaurant called Nacho's Restaurant and his original recipe was printed in 1954 in St. Anne's Cookbook. And this popularity of the dish swiftly spread throughout Texas and the Southwest. So I thought this was a fantastic story about how uh, you know, a, a dish came to be created out of nowhere because of the fact that the chef was missing. And I'm sure there are other examples of this as well, Joy. What do you have? Yeah, yeah. in fact, uh, one of the more famous examples, and I won't go into detail here, is about chips. Chips is not as in the British chips, but the American chips or what we call crisps. It right. was the same thing. They basically cut them thin because, you know, one of the guests was complaining right. and they were just made and they came out tasty. But I want to talk about an Indian uh, dish. And again, this is from where we come from, Ratan. This is, you know, this is almost a religious dish by itself. Correct. So the kati roll. So okay. the kati roll, where does it come from? It comes from a, obviously the Nizam restaurant, which is the most popular restaurant. And we remember eating so many rolls out there during college yep. days. And uh, it was founded in 1932. So what used to happen was, if you ever see kebabs being made in North India, you will see them made with these big iron skewers. Yeah, And that's how you make kebabs, where the Sikh kebabs. So kebabs right. are always skewered on those. These guys must have run out. The restaurant must have been doing well. They ran out of skewers. So instead, they took these thin bamboo skewers and right. they started putting. And you know the Bengali word for uh, skewers or thin sticks is called kati. Correct. You know? So Correct. Kati, kati kebab comes from there. And then they just wrapped it in a paratha and that became the kati roll. So that's wow. the origin of kati roll. It just comes from the fact that they didn't have enough, you know, they didn't have enough iron skewers. Right. So let's use bamboo sticks instead. And that's how they got its name. Fascinating. Fascinating. I'll remember this the next time I order um, a plate of kati rolls, which even today and, to be, and I, yeah, one of my favorites. I just want to say, I also want to add, there's this friend of mine called Amit Sinha. Okay. And we used to have, when we used to work in the under 17 football world cup together, we used to order these massive meals okay. and then he'd come out and he'd take his tiffin box out because most of us were horrible, hardcore non-vegetarians right. and he'd offer us paneer. So I just wanted to tell him something that paneer, you know, there's a lot of talk about it being in the Rig Veda, but the kind of paneer we eat has not come from, you know, the Vedas or those origins. Okay. It's really come from the Mongols. 
the mongols used to ride and remember fermented maize milk used to be also be the kind of thing that they used to have yes. as a drink yes but in those mushkis you know the bags that they carried their milk sometimes they would just you know they would go bad in the desert and it turn basically the leather would turn the milk into paneer and then they tasted it and they wow. found it wasn't bad at all and that's where the mongols got it mongols obviously are the people who from where the mughals come okay right and mongols give it to the mughals and the mughals gave it to india and that paneer that you have comes straight from the armies of genghis khan that's all i want to tell you in fact i heard this story joy that uh, when chengiz khan was first presented with this you know strange new dish which which is your paneer which got milk the maize milk got curdled um, he started muttering in a very bad way and the chef in order to save his uh, own life uh, quickly said dear sir we hereby name this dish mutter paneer and that's how the dish mutter paneer got its name do you think it's true it's a terrible 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 story that It's a terrible story. I just want you to apologize to all our listeners right now. Well, okay, don't. Fine. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I try. I try. But yes, that's that's a fantastic story, and um, and and that brings us to uh, the end of this section. But fear not, because what we have coming up is the incredible bare naked life section, where Joy is on a roll. But let's see, Joy, if you can answer. my question today and get your point once again very simple i will give you a quote and you have to tell me whether it's true or false if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold it would be a merrier world this is a quote by captain jack sparrow in from the movie pirates of the caribbean curse of the black pearl true or false you know what i'm going to say if- let me think about it look jack sparrow look at him that's johnny depp looks thin weary looking he looks as if he likes his booze more than he likes his food i'm going to say false well um this is a quote by j r r tolkien which i tried to <laughs> fool you by saying it's from captain jack sparrow but you are absolutely correct and you draw first blood so you get one point for that what's your question for me joy Okay my question for you is that the you know there's this dish very famous dish called the shahi tukra yeah. which is one of india's most well known desserts right so the shahi tukra was invented to give the laborers working on the taj mahal something interesting to eat because you know they just had dal roti so they needed a dessert and it was a quick and easy dessert to make they made the shahi tukra yes true or false shahi tukra by its name is shahi which means royal why would you give laborers royal food joy i will go with what you said to my question i will take a chance and say it's false mate you're trying to pull a fast one on me okay you got it it is it is false because the dish that it is invented and i think i love your logic because this is what they call good quizzing logic that shahi in the name means it's royal royal stuff will not be served to laborers the food that was actually invented the dessert that was actually invented for laborers to eat yeah. so that you know because there were 20 25000 people working on the taj mahal at that time was the agra ka petha which is why ah, you know the agra ka okay. petha is so famous right and if your train ever stops in agra you was in the 70s and 80s you'd buy petas from there because you know agra is famous for its petas and petas a much simpler dish than the shahi tukra so 
Well done, Ratan. Well done. Well, it's a draw today. They say a draw is worth a thousand wins. I mean, you know, if you are like Faroe Islands playing football against uh, <laughs> England in the in the European Championships, and I will take my one point and I will come back reinvigorated with renewed enthusiasm and try and beat you next time. But yes, it's a one-all draw, and that brings us to the end of Bare Naked Lies. So we have now the last section of this episode which i hope all of you loved and that's the quiz question which is going to come up but before we ask this week's question joy your question from last week and i have the winners but first what was your question okay i asked a question which was about brand names and i said that you know if you have the vivo ipl and tomorrow pepsi took it over they wouldn't call it the vivo pepsi ipl but in a particular case a new brand taking over a particular award has actually kept the name of the older award winner and uh, which award is this and of course uh, it is the booker award which is now known as the man booker award what a lot of people don't know is that the booker award was originally started by a company called booker mcconnell and that's why it was called the booker award but if you took it away and you just called it the man award nobody had heard of the man award so they made it wow. the man booker award nice. and to their credit booker was nice enough to allow them to do that because you know booker is a brand name as well but yeah. they allowed them and said that look literature needs to be supported you guys are going to support it go for it so man booker is the answer i'm looking for and do you have any winners yes uh, we have some new names today in the honor board we have shantanu sharma and ramesh mohrana who have given the correct answers and the man booker prize is the right answer so well done congratulations and keep sending in your answers enjoy what's your question for this episode my question is which popular indian street food you know specific to a particular city okay mm-hmm. is named after a person who made a guest appearance in a 1967 hindi film okay. was knighted and is also the reason why blood donation camps are held in calcutta every year a particular fast food item is named after this person who am i talking about may i may i take an attempt is this uh, joseph vadapao that famous explorer <laughs> no right uh, okay i'm sorry i don't want the knighted to... okay if joseph vadapao goes knighted i haven't heard of it now but yeah i will i will also check the peerage right now <laughs> <laughs> well that that's fantastic please send in your answers once again to our email address factofthematterindia@gmail.com that brings us to the end of this episode hope you found this funny and fulfilling and heavy enough for you to go back and enjoy all the food you can eat you can catch all our episodes once again on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts report stitcher basically every platform you prefer do click on the follow button once again and make sure that you get the information whenever a new episode drops we'll come back next week once again in the meantime check our website anchor.fm fact hyphen off hyphen the hyphen matter in case you want to know more or you want to see joy padacharya as i keep saying Happy eating. Stay safe, stay well. <laughs>